Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of It's Not All Rainbows. I'm your host, Lindsay Goodman. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach, and I'm a survivor of abuse in a queer relationship. Today's going to look a little different. If you're on YouTube, you already know I have a special guest today who I had the honor of meeting in Austin, Texas, um, not last month, but two months ago now um, in October. Mm -hmm. Um, and as we were talking and sharing our stories with each other at the Narc Avengers meet and greet, we realized how similar our timelines and our experiences were. And we got to talking and we're like, we need to, we need to do some work together. So if you don't know Trey, he is, I was like, yo underscore Trey um, on TikTok, Instagram. Um, you also create on Facebook and is that it? YouTube? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Pretty much all the things. Um, he also is the author of the Wellness Wheel Journal, A Journey to a Balanced You. And he has a course called Breaking Free from Rumination, How to Reclaim Peace and Clarity After Narcissistic Abuse. So if you've just left an, an abusive relationship and you're struggling with all those thoughts is taking up all that space in your brain, Trey is the one you're going to want to go to. Um let's go ahead and dive in. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get here um, to where you're out here creating content, doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, helping other people that are or were in the same boat as you? So I, um, <laughs> my story is kind of a wild ride. Uh, I, I used to say that it all kind of happened by accident, but now I'm kind of starting to see that it's just been happening organically, really. Um, but I grew up in Texas and the Bible Belt, and um, like I honestly, I came from a really great home. Uh, but my environment that I was raised in, I was in not just private school, but I was in Christian school, which is very different. Uh, raised in church, you know, had a Christian home and all this. Um, and you know, there's just certain messages that you hear repeatedly over and over and over again while you're growing up that certain lifestyles um, aren't okay. Um, and I learned at a very young age how to either redirect what I was feeling or how to suppress what I was feeling. Uh, because by the time I hit puberty age, I already know I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell because I start having these thoughts and these questions. So that really kind of started the whole narrative that I just believed that I wasn't good enough or that, you know, I life was always going to be a struggle. Like there was these certain narratives that started to get ingrained in me. And I got to college and I I met a phenomenal woman and honestly everything that I felt for her was completely genuine still is um our love was never a lie it just wasn't the only truth and it got to the point to where um it was harming both of us for me to continue to deny who I was and so I came out um did a lot of atonement with her and 2 weeks after I came out I met this guy and you have to understand, I was never a member, obviously, of the queer community. So all I knew was stigmas and stereotypes that I've been taught, especially by people that have also never taken the time to get to know the queer community either. Um, so I didn't, I just knew, <laughs> we'll just say negative, negative stereotypes. So I thought that being 28 with kids and, you know, wanting monogamy and wanting just a typical relationship I didn't really think was possible or it was going to be very, very hard to find. So when I met this guy um, that 
is telling me that he wants everything that I have to offer. Like I bought it and not just like I completely invested myself into it, had myself convinced like I need to, because I mean, I wasn't even officially divorced yet. Um, and so I was like, I need to, I was weighing the options. So I want to wait and hope this comes around later. Cause I, you know, I shouldn't start dating until my divorce is final. I should wait, I should heal. Um, and I put all of that aside and was like, no, like this is just, this is too hard to find. Like I can't risk like not finding it. Cause I didn't want to go through all of this and end up alone. <clears throat> and that's my journey into the, the trauma bond really. That's how it started. And saw all of the red flags chose to ignore a lot of them knew there was a lot of lying and manipulation going on you know all the things that we talk about they happen cheating gaslighting deflection like literally everything i didn't know about a lot of the stuff till after we i got out of the relationship um and fast forward a couple months after the relationship's over and i'm no contact and i'm kind of moved on i started sharing my story a little bit through um a skit that's called Mind of the Narc. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, that was kind of like the inspo of it. I was like, I really wonder what goes on inside the mind of a narcissist. And so I made a couple skits on it and they took off and people started to see me and I realized like, oh my gosh, there's a whole slew of people that have been through this in the whole community. And it just, I stumbled into it and then I just decided to continue to share my story and then it just hasn't stopped. It's just continued to grow. And I'm now in grad school, getting my doctorate in occupational therapy. And I'm also learning about trauma recovery through that and realizing that my social media world and my education world are starting to blend already. Um, so it's just, I don't, I've always said I'm going to continue to do this until I feel like God's released me from it, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger and growing. And now I'm here. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad you're here. I know a lot of people are so glad you're here because like I said, yes, Mind of a Narc is incredible. And you've got some other really good like ongoing mm -hmm. skits like the, the Narcissist Hotline, right? Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a um, really popular one. And then the Yellow Mud Talks, those are my my three most popular. <laughs> I love those too. They're so good because you have this like variety of ways of delivering this very difficult conversation that we, so many of us need to have. And they're yeah. so creative. No, um, so yeah, we're so glad you're here. And I personally, um, as a fellow queer person who was abused in a queer relationship, which was also, it was both of our first queer relationship. Like this is a very big, very real thing that's happening. And while we know that it happens across the board and we're not going to say that it's worse one way or worse another way, um, we're out here, you know, like you said, like it's, you know, we're thinking like, oh, someday it'll be the end and I'll have done what I've done to help. And then that'll be it. But it's just like, like you talked about with things blowing up, it's just this continued calling and this realization that this is happening every day, all the time, everywhere, all walks of life. And we're in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So talk to me about like the coming out late aspect, because you and I both had the same situation where we came out late. We had been in a heterosexual marriage. We had a child or children. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, what do you think, like, as you got into this queer relationship, what were some things that were harder for you to understand? Um, because we were all like, we see it in movies. We hear it talked about. It's a man abusing his wife, period. Like, that's what we hear about. Um, and it's a certain kind of abuse, which is like, he comes home, he's mad, he puts her in the hospital. That's the only thing that like most of us grow up knowing about abuse. So what are some things that happened that you were like, 
afterwards you were like, oh yeah, that was abuse or that you were sort of like making excuses for. And then um, not to not to blame you because we all know how that goes. <laughs> and then what are also some things that you didn't understand about being in a queer relationship because of stereotypes you had had heard? And like, maybe you were like, oh, this is just normal because it's, we're two men. Or for me, it was like, oh, we're two non-men. So this has to be the way that it is. When really looking back, we're like, actually, that's also just abuse. And it, you know, it's really bad. Yeah, I think I'll kind of start with with the last question because that that's what set me up for not realizing I was in a, a lot of the manipulative situations that I was in because he definitely took advantage of my my naivety and my ignorance at the time um, because I remember asking him questions like, "Is this normal?" Like for for example, <clears throat> you know, he was he would like he was friends on social media a lot or even would text like people that he would have just like hooked up with. And I was like, that's kind of weird. You know, like, I mean, there was no friendship. There was no relationship. There was no, it was literally like a grinder hookup or met him at a bar or like whatever. And I, I remember asking him, I was like, is it, is that normal? Like in the gay community, like, you know, that you like stay friends with people that you hooked up with. Cause again, I didn't know. I didn't know if the rules were different in the queer community versus, you know, the straight community. And he was just, and he was just, oh yeah, you know, it's normal, blah, blah, blah. And I even remember asking why, and this was not my mistake. I asked why and then gave him an answer. Cause I was like, well, why is it just because like, you know, there's the, the queer community is like small, you know, like there's, is, is that like the reason he's like, oh yeah, like that was a mistake. Like if you're asking people questions, like don't offer them an answer, let them answer it. <laughs> um, but I was just trying to make sense of it in my in my head. Um, so that's a prime example of just, and by the way, that's not normal. Like it, at least not in my situation, like that's, <laughs> you know, I'm not homies with people I hooked up with in my whole face. Like that's not, not normal. <laughs> normal. I don't think it's really normal in straight relationships either, but you know, I just, I didn't know. And and so I would ask questions like this and like, oh yeah, it's normal. Or yeah, yeah, it's normal. He was friends with a lot of his exes, still friends. Um, you know, and even even ones that I could tell. There was one in particular that I could tell was still hung up on my ex. <clears throat> and I that's what made me uncomfortable. I was like, you know, I don't think that the goal here for for your ex is, is friendship. Like it's, he's still actively saying like, he misses you like that. It's just not appropriate. You know, it's, it's not a jealousy thing. It's, it's an, it's not appropriate. And, you know, it, and there was just a lot of like deflecting onto like, well, you're just insecure and you're just this and you're just that, you know, or whatever, <clears throat> because I do have, well, not anymore at the time, I was, I lived in insecurities. I still struggle with some insecurities now, but I lived them, you know, before. And like, it was my identity. You know, I just, I've never felt like I was handsome. I've never felt like I was sexy. I've never felt like I was attractive or like a, the physical aspect. I've always been very, very low on the confidence level and just kind of feeling like I wasn't good enough for someone. So that was thrown back at me quite a bit. And um, the thing that I, I didn't really realize that I was going through abuse, like emotional abuse until the day after I kicked him out. So, and then the night that I kicked him out, he had 
we had gotten into this big fight <clears throat> while he was at work and he went out to the bar instead of coming home and like dealing with the issue he went and party with his friends and he came back and it just it just got really dangerous really fast you know i i got him out of the house before i got physically hurt but it did get to the point where i was backed into a corner i was being spit on his fist was balled up veins popping out of neck because up until that point like he had had these rage episodes where his behavior was frightening, but I didn't necessarily fear for my physical safety. Like now I know that that's still abuse, but in my mind, that's not abuse because he's not actually touched me. Right. Um, but <clears throat> that night in particular, I got really scared. And when I allowed him to come back the next day to at least get his clothes, I remember he looked at me and he was like, well, if if you had just, he got into a fight with my uh, kid's mom. That was kind of the dynamic that was going on. So he said, if you had just defended me to her, I wouldn't have acted this way. And here's what's funny. I got my undergrad in psychology. Like I studied abusive relationships. And it was like in that moment, I remembered sitting in class. Like it was like a replay just swooshed across my mind. And I remember sitting in class talking about physically abusive relationships and how the abuser will say things like, you know how I get when I'm angry, so why would you make me angry and blame it on the survivor? And that's when it clicked. Oh my God, I've been in an emotionally abusive relationship this entire time because at, up until that point, what I had been saying and what I had been saying to my friends was, I just feel like I'm living with an overgrown teenager. Like I just felt like he was very emotionally immature and because he's not had healthy relationships in the past, he didn't have to communicate well. He had to be, you know, on this like defensive end and he had to do this and all like for, you know, survival you know, and everybody's treated him bad. So for me, the, the story I kept saying was, if I can just show him what a healthy relationship looks like, like this will get better over time. Uh, and you can do that for someone all day long, but until they decide, I want to be an active participant in a healthy relationship, it's always going to stay the same. Um, so I didn't realize until that day. And, and then I further realized how much manipulation was going on once I was able to be out and be single. Because again, I came out two weeks later, met him. I'm in a committed relationship. I was never out and single and got to know my own community. And that's when I realized, like, there's a lot of people out here that want kids. There's a lot of people out here that want monogamy. There's a lot of people out here that want the house and the white pickings and the dog and the yard. Like, it just it just blew my mind. And I, it actually took a friend of mine sitting down with me and just, he looked at me. He's like, do you know how much of a gold mine you are in the queer community? He's like, you have three children already. Like if any people in the queer community, they're going to have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars just to have one child. You have three, like you are a literal gold mine for gay men. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's just, I, I just, I didn't know. And and that's when I, again, as I'm living my life as a single gay man, that's when I started really like, you know, it's not normal to like add your hookup buddies on your, on your Facebook or whatever. Like, it's not normal to, you know, be friends with your exes just because we're queers. Like, the, like there's, there were so many things, like the rules actually are not that different in dating in the queer community. And the one thing that I will argue is maybe in like the height of the gay scene, like the gay bar scene, I think those stigmas are definitely more present. But as the queer community as a whole, they're not. Um, and that's what I just didn't understand at the time. 
you said so many amazing things. And again, just like such similar stories with, you know, there being issues with the other parent of our children and having that be like that constant dynamic where I'm sure there were moments where it's like, oh, we're doing this for the kids. We're all, you know, getting along. But looking back, you're like, this was always an issue, which is again, weird because we weren't allowed to have a healthy relationship with a parent of our children, but they're out mm -hmm. here with their grinder or their, their, her mm -hmm. buddies, you know, or like staying in contact with their ex. Like, as we now know, it's all, it's all about supply, which we weren't allowed to have supply. Not that we would want right. to, but it's like, this is the person that's raising our kids with us. Yeah. Um, and then um, talking about like the realizing that it was um, emotional abuse as well as like what happened that final night was physical abuse as well, even though mm -hmm. no hand was touching you, right. that threat, you know, speeding on you, anything that's like coming near your body is physical abuse. And a lot of people don't understand that. And of course, when we're in a trauma bond, we're also making excuses for them, not on purpose. Um, we've just been so trained to do that. And so, and I think that's another thing about the both of us that like, as we were getting out or out, we realized exactly what had been going on, which is so confusing to understand when you're mm -hmm. in it. Yeah, the dynamic between the three of us, which I, what I mean by that is my kid's mom, me and him, that I actually, it, this is what's interesting about abusive relationships, specifically emotionally abusive relationships, is that I've been no contact with this person since October, well, no, September of 2020. It's been a long time since I've had any contact. I've done a lot of healing in a new relationship. I'm engaged. I'm still finding out things like two and a half years later with conversations with my kid's mom, because see, and this, and I'm very intentional when I say my kid's mom, because again, the relationship that we want to have and work to have, and we're trying to have back then was not that of ex-wife ex-husband we had always been each other's best friend before any other title that we had so we were trying to redefine how that could look so we don't call each other ex blank like it's oh that this is the boy's dad or these are my kid's mom and that was such an intimidating thing for him and what I also did not realize was there was whole conversations going on between my kid's mom and him and then when it would come back to me from him it was completely twisted. So he was literally, and I literally found this out like maybe two months ago. And, and so there was, there was actual purposeful work being done to try to drive a wedge in between us and that, you know, he would use this whole, like, I don't defend him to her and, and, and it's, or like he would, well, he did actually start yelling at her at one point. That was that last night. But before that, if I would bring any kind of grievance up at the house with me and him, he would just explode. And what that told me, like, and, you know, start using like names and all this kind of stuff. And I would just be like, look, that's my kid's mom. Like, I'm not even going to ever call her names like that, much less you, like, you don't have the place to do that. And, and something like that, like just trying to protect my family dynamic was, well, you're choosing her over me. It's like, no, I'm choosing the family dynamic over your drama that you're wanting to have. Like you're trying to make this an ugly divorce and that's not what we want. And it was literally like once a month, it was like, I could clock it. Like I knew if things were good-ish, which they were, they were good in the beginning. Like he did his whole love bombing thing with her. Like he literally bought her flowers on our first date. <clears throat> um, So like, 
the first couple of months was really good between the three of us and he and her were actually like really good friends. Like they did things just the two of them. And then we had a really, we call me and her still call it dark Monday. We had his first really bad rage episode to where that's the first time I tried to break up with him. And then after that, it was never really great again. It would get good and like chill, but it never got back to great. And it was like a cycle. It was like once every month, four to six weeks, and there would be some kind of blow up involving that that dynamic. It was exhausting. So for us as um, parents who are in this community, who, like you said, we are, we're, we're goldmine. We've got great kids. They're adorable. They're free. We have already provided them for you. I'm not dating. You are. You're in a committed relationship. Um, and that's another thing that like now after having experienced this horrible dynamic, like with the other parent who I'm the same, he's not my ex-husband, he's my son's dad. Um, and seeing how like this person saw me lonely with a child, do you know, and came in and gave me that perfect family that, you know, that you also were like, oh my gosh, this is real, this can happen. That also makes me hesitant to date people, which I know isn't fair. Like right now I'm just like living, I'm free, I'm doing my thing. I know it's not fair to be like, all people are bad. All people are going to like, whatever, but it's, um, you know, I totally forgot what I was going to say about us having that dynamic with the, I don't know what I was going to say. It was going to be really important, but I got distracted <laughs> by being like, I'm not dating anybody ever again. <laughs> um, darn. That's really too bad. I guess we'll have to circle back. Oh, it kind of sounded like you were starting to get, maybe I'm wrong but it kind of started to sound like you were going more down like um like there's almost like a predator out there for people like us I don't know you said something that yes. made me think that that's where you were going thank you sure. that's what I was gonna say is that like because we are gold mines mm. um yeah. I mean we are anyway like <laughs> <laughs> it we also have to be very careful and this is going to lead us into our next thing and at the risk of sounding paranoid I think that it's very important to be very aware red flags, green flags. Like this is what we're out here talking about. What are the signs of abuse? What are the like trademark things that an abusive person is going to do, which you just mentioned love bombing and all that stuff is really protect your children, mm -hmm. protect the other parent. You know, not everyone is going to be okay with that dynamic. And if you're picking up on that stuff, like I know, like you mentioned, like we both saw the red flags, but they don't make sense at the time because you're being love bombed. And especially as people who came out late, were like, this has to be it. And it's not, it's really not. So really, I think both of us would like to send that message of being like, Hey, no, not everyone is going to be good for your family. Mm -hmm. We are out here and like our well being and our kids and that dynamic, like we are committed to protecting that. Um, and so that was like sort of the next question as well is like, how do you feel do you feel that people who come out late are at a not necessarily greater risk? Like we don't know the numbers, but do you think there's something to that about like coming out late and being sort of at risk for this predatory person to come in and be like, this person doesn't know anything about this community. I can give these excuses. I can do these things. They're not going to know any better. Also, I have a question for you. Did your abuser, and this is like totally off topic. Did, did he have a lot of did he have like a queer circle? Cause mine did not, mine did not hang out with queer people at all, which I now I'm like, I mean, I don't, cause I, I'm sort of like self-isolated and very careful who I'm around right now. It's like queer friend there, queer friend there, but like, were they a part of the queer community? So 
yes. Like he he was part of the bar scene. But you had to keep in mind, like he was from a very rural part of Texas where there was literally one gay bar about 45 minutes from where he lived. Um, so the queer community there was already kind of small as it was. Um, but he hung out with them at the bar. I think there was a couple of times maybe that I know of that he hung out with them outside of it, but it was kind of, but again, it was kind of one of those things like as soon as we started dating, he didn't talk to them anymore. So I, you know, I I don't know how much of it was for attention getting or versus like friendships in general just was not a sustainable thing for him. He literally had one friend that he had had longer than five years, but it's funny, every friend that he talked about, he made it sound like they were his best friend and they've been together for so long or not been together, but been friends for so long. And then I find out they've known each other for five months. And I I would even say that, like, you talk about this person, like, y'all have been friends for years and years and years. And he's like, oh, it just feels that way. I'm like, okay. You know, again, yeah, an explanation for everything. So I'm like, okay, you know, I get that. I've made connections like that before. Um, and as far as the coming out late part, I don't know. I know that coming out in general, like when you're newly out, I think is one of the most vulnerable times in a queer person's life, because I think that there's predators out there for newly out people, period, end of story, because they don't know the community yet. And again, there's the stigmas and there's, there's all of this. The, and the reason why I believe that is because my ex had a habit of either dating closeted people or people that were freshly out. So that seemed to be like an MO for him. You know, I was the only person that he had dated with kids, but every other person that I knew about, according to him, were either freshly out or they were still in the closet. And I think, I think he definitely took advantage of, of that naiveness because I think when you are, when you just come out, I think there is this really deep longing for acceptance of this community, you know, and you're, and you're wanting to be accepted by, you want it to be your community. And, and then you, you're craving that acceptance because there's, and I can't speak for all queer people, but I know I can speak for a lot of them, especially the ones that were raised in the South. We're fed this message over time that our life is not going to be blessed, that we're damned. And and even though they don't come out and say it, I think there's an internalization of, I won't ever be happy as a queer person. I won't have what I want as a queer person because how can I be blessed and damned at the same time? Like, And so then I, I, when you when you finally make that decision and, and whether you are 15 or whether you are 55 with a whole, whole ass family and whole ass life, like, there are sacrifices that are made to coming out of, of the closet because you, you're going to lose something. You know, you may not lose your whole family. You may not lose all of your friends, but you're going to lose something, whether it's reputation, whether it you will lose certain friends. Like it just very rare that that doesn't happen. You, you will lose a member of the family because there's always that one person that's in there that's got to make the scene about it, you know, regardless of what everybody else is saying. Like, there's always some sort of loss that happens with a coming out. Now, there's a lot of other things that are gained, but there, when you're going through that time of fresh sacrifice, it's it's like there's this heightened need to be accepted and to be wanted unless your worth is so well established that you don't need that. You're good just the fact, like, you know what? I'm, I've accepted who I am, you know, and... <clears throat> 
I think the coming out late aspect part of it is, again, with the stigmas, you know, once you hit 30 in the queer community, according to the stigma, you're old and you're not desirable. And you, you know, if you have kids, you can't just do what you want when you want with whoever you want. You can't go out to the bars every night. If you want monogamy, well, that's not what people want. They want open relationships or they want polys, you know, because those are very glamorized in the queer community, in my opinion. So I think when you're older, it's just you have in a way more baggage. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation, but you do. You have more things that you, you're a whole package. That's probably a better way to say it. Instead of baggage, you you are a package deal so it's not just you it's I need someone that accepts me that accepts my kids that accepts the dynamic that I want and and that's going to be more difficult regardless of what kind of relationship you're in whether you're going for a straight relationship a queer relationship it doesn't matter that's just that's just hard I mean and that you have a lot more to lose and you have a lot more to protect but again, I think because of the stigmas, I think I made it out like this is going to be harder in the queer community. And it just made me very susceptible that the moment that I heard that, yes, I accept you and everything that comes with you. I was like, done, sign the check. I'm good. I'll deal with everything because at least I'm not alone. Yeah. Totally agree with everything you said. And like when you were talking about that acceptance and wanting that acceptance from another queer person, it's also like wanting to be seen as queer, which a lot of, I think a lot of single people, and of course we know bisexual people too, that are in heterosexual presenting relationships because they are queer too. And they're out here mm -hmm. and they're valid and important and we love them. Like we don't feel seen as queer. We don't feel like we can come to the party. We can show up at pride. We can do all this stuff. Like I'm a single person that like no one has ever looked at me and been like, is she queer? Not ever, not one time, you know? And so it's like, you know, after that relationship and being like, I've been living for 30 some years, I had a kid with a dude, I bought a house with a dude, I did all the things with a dude, all the things that I was quote unquote supposed to do. Now I'm going to do this and we dive into it and we want like, again, accepted and seen by that other queer person who may or may not be safe for us and then be seen by other people. Like I can remember that feeling of like telling each friend. And then, like you said, either you lose that friend or that friend is like, I see you as a queer person. I support you. And it's like, you're gathering like, I don't know, treasures from like, you're on a pirate ship and you're gathering treasure from here. And you're like, yay, seen as queer treasure, seen as queer treasure. And it's, it's hard. And it makes sense that we feel that way. Absolutely. Cause like you said, we never thought that we could have that. Really quick before we hop into the next question, I want to also say that my abuser was exactly the same in terms of who they would date. Mm. Like it started off like two queer people dating, but it got progressively like, I need you to have less and less and less experience. Like maybe you've never even thought about another being with a, in a queer relationship. Like we're going to just keep like, yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, that that's actually something I've seen glorified a lot on TikTok of people being like, I'm after the straight girls. I'm after the like, whatever. And I think that, you know, at the risk of being, you know, called, call, you know, the wrong, I don't know what, but um, that's something that we kind of want to look out for because yeah. that's like someone being like, I, I saw the other day, a guy was like, I only like girls who've never been with another man. So they're talking, you're probably looking for someone pretty young. Like, this is a red flag. We want to like dive into like why that is. And what's that path? Like, why is that the only thing you go for? Mm -hmm. so keep an eye out for that right yeah. uh, well I <laughs> they're telling you 
I think at some point it ultimately for me what it comes down to is it's some sort of control you know they can control the narrative mm -hmm. if you don't have one you know if you don't have your own narrative and your own identity in the queer community then they can create it for you you know they can normalize certain things for you they can you know that's how it was for me I was told that certain things were normal that are not normal I was told certain things are acceptable that are not you know and and instead of just acknowledging any of that or me having that knowledge myself I was told you're just being insecure stop projecting your insecurities on me and reality is is if you feel like something is off and you feel like something is wrong it probably is you know you don't have that gut feeling for no reason absolutely I want to add that on the like on the along the lines of creating the narrative that for me we're going to make this um a, an adult conversation here um sex was very much controlled for me and mm -hmm. as someone who I actually had dated some women before I met my ex-husband but it was like very little um but it was like this is how two queer people have sex this is the only way those things you've heard about aren't real this is it has to be like this every time xyz whatever and now like I am single but now I know that that's not actually true but when you're mm -hmm. coming into it like like you said they can literally tell you you know this is how we are with our friends this is how we have sex this is what we don't do this is and you're just you just kind of have to trust them so absolutely control yeah well and I think just the sexual <laughs> relationship in general with abusive people there's some sort of level of, of control over it um my story wasn't necessarily like that but it was if he wanted it, we did it. And if he didn't, he made sure I knew it. And it wasn't just that, you know, I'm not in the mood. It's, it was, I was degraded. You're such a sex addict, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because it, and it, again, it wasn't just a, not tonight. You know, it was a very hard firm, made me feel disgusting. And then because I react to that, you're just a sex addict. I'm like, no, I just, I don't like being made to feel gross. You know, <laughs> just tell me, no, you're not in the mood. Like, you know, there, there's always that part of the relationship. There is 100% a lot of control being done or, and it's 100% weaponized. Yeah. I had the same experience. We just put it on our list of things that we, <laughs> so similar. All right. We're kind of running out of time. Um, we were going to talk about some of the stereotypes that we hear about in the queer community that can be harmful. I don't know if there's like a quick um like on like understanding like now as survivors like how we understand some of those like trademark things that we understand like as a community we're like oh this is how it has to go that we now know can be signs of abuse I know a lot of people get defensive when I'm like love bombing is abuse slow down don't you haul a lot of people are like actually I did it and it was okay this is okay you know people are really um resistant to hearing about that but like there's some really dangerous aspects. And again, it's not queer specific. However, straight people don't have that like as a part of their culture as like an ongoing joke. You know, people aren't right. creating content on TikTok about you hauling. So like, what are some of those things? I know I just mentioned like love bombing, but what are some of those things that we can watch out for and say, actually, this isn't a normal part of any relationship and I'm going to be on high alert for this. I think... And again, this is just this is just from my perspective. I do th obviously the stigmas that are out there and the stereotypes are that are out there 
they're out there because they do exist to a certain level. You know, there are a lot of queer people that prefer poly relationships. There are a lot of queer people that prefer open relationships, you know, that they don't want to be settled down, you know, and all like, but again, that exists in the straight community too. Like it, it it's, but it, there's, there's just this level. And I, do, I, I don't know what necessarily where it comes from. I really don't. I've, tr- I've tried figuring it out. And I, I do think, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I do think some of that stuff is more present in the scene. And if you're in the queer community, you know what I mean by that. Like there is a gay scene and then there's just the, the queer community. And I think in, in the scene, it is probably a lot more prevalent there. Um, but I think in the actual community as a whole, I don't see it quite as much um, because any any <laughs> queer community that I meet like outside of the bar scene, that that's not the case that I see. And, and I think, I think because of the stereotypes, and again, this is just from my perspective, I can only speak from my story, but I think because of the stereotypes, it, it presented an opportunity for me to make a choice. Like, do I want to risk not being able to find someone that accepts me and my my whole package deal? Am I willing to risk not finding that again or it taking me a really, really long time versus, okay, I know there's things that I'm not happy with about this relationship. I know there's things that I don't like because again, I wasn't necessarily like blind to everything that was going on. I remember making a conscious choice. Well, at least I'm not alone. At least he's not hit me. At least he's not X, Y, Z, you know, Yes, he's lying to me, but overall, like, does that hurt me that much? Like, God, even saying this kind of stuff out loud now, it's just like, oh, like I get so frustrated with old me. I'm like, God, you know, and it, because it's like, it's just a sign that I didn't value myself enough. Like, and and I was more, my weight was heavier and my life is not complete without a partner. You know, that, that was that was really what I felt. So it was better for me to have a partner that's not necessarily great, not terrible, not great. This is kind of somewhere like it was a settling mentality for sure. Um, but it was because of the stereotypes that drove me to settle because I really, truly, until I learned otherwise, I really, truly had it in my head. It's going to be so hard for me to find someone else. And I think, I think to avoid some of that, if I could give like any advice, I'm mainly going to focus on like newly out members of the community as tempting as it is to like hop into the first person that like shows you that affection and that attention and all that. Take time to just be a part of your community for a little bit. Take time to enjoy being out and being single and just meeting people, not even for the purpose of long-term relationships, just get out there and just meet people meet them outside of the dating apps, you know, like meet them meet them through mutual friends if you have them like build your own community and build your own identity within the community so that way you have something and to be protective of when you start to invite someone into the circle because when you don't have your own identity at all but especially if you don't have an identity within the queer community you don't have anything to protect well you do but you know what i'm saying like there's when you have your own spot and you have your own place you have more to lose, quote unquote, because I don't want this dynamic to change. I don't want this part of me to change. I love who I am in this space. So if I'm going to invite you into this space, like you have to fit into this space well. And that's a huge mistake that I made in in my situation was I kept 
hoping that it would get better fitting into my space but it 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 wasn't it was a constant battle and a constant fight and by the time I learned all that lesson and when I met my fiance it's like here's my standards you will not disrespect my kid's mom you will do this if I it's not about you if I don't want you to meet the kids for eight months it has nothing to do with you it's that I'm protecting them and blah blah I laid it all out and if you're not okay with any of this that I respect that but that that means that we have nowhere else to go you know and you because I had something I had my standards I had my place in the community I'm a single man with three kids and I have my kids 50% of the time which means I can't give you 100% of mine you know and and I had I had that and and unfortunately my standards came from because I had the opposite and I know how bad that was and uh Alf, I will check you off the list nope sorry you that's not gonna work for me. Like I would, I would rather do that now at this point, you know, that that's the headspace that I was in because I, I had that experience, unfortunately, a negative one, not just one I built myself to protect. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I hope that answered that question. I feel like I got on a random rant. <laughs> no, that was really good. And you actually went ahead and answered, unless you have another piece of advice, you were like, if I could give a piece of advice, which I'm sitting here like, yeah, because same, I even got goosebumps when you were like, just like, don't jump into that relationship. Like just be you. That's something that's <laughs> like, we deserve that. Yeah. And, and it's the same with like being single after abuse. Like, I don't know how long you were single, no judgment, but like, I'm like, I deserve this time to be single. And we deserve that time when we come out late again, whether you're 15 or 55 to be like, Whoo, all right now, who am I? I don't want anyone else affecting mm -hmm. because as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I built my queer identity after I left yeah. while I was in it. It was being built for me. I was told who yeah. I was, how to identify what I liked and didn't like. And now I'm like, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to dress. Like I was told how to dress, how to look, how to carry yeah. myself. And now I'm like, I'm going to do this or that and whatever feels good. I'm going to do that. So very, very important advice. Is there yeah. anything else you want to share with people before we do our little special announcement? Um, I think if you have gone through this and you're listening to this, one of the things that's really difficult and I get asked this question quite a bit is like, what do you do about like this need for justice? You know, because the, the problem with emotionally abusive relationships is that there's very little justice that comes with it because you can't see it. And it's really hard because you just, you have this part of you that wants people to just know who this person is. You want to expose them, you want to do that. And, and you have all of this stuff. And and the thing that was a 100% mindset shift for me was when I realized that my own redemption was by justice. I always tell people, do what you need to do legally. Like if you can take legal action and that's what you really want, then do it. But understand like your redemption is your ultimate justice. It is taking back your life one piece at a time and maybe for the first time really defining who you are. I know for me that that's exactly what it was. Like I, I was really able to, for the first time to say, this is who I am. This is what I want. And I'm not settling anymore because this is too important for me, you know, whatever picture I had laid out and just focus on your redemption because they're going to be who they are. And at this point, it doesn't affect you anymore like it's not about revenge it's not about getting back it is about you and reclaiming your life and finding your own redemption and that's your ultimate justice absolutely 
So well said. Okay. So Trey and I have an announcement. <laughs> this is the first time we're saying it out loud. I know. <laughs> so do you want to share it? Okay. Um, so we're actually really excited to announce that uh, Lindsay and I are actually going to be starting our own support group. It's called Polishing Off the Rainbows, and it is for the queer community, and it is a support group for abuse survivors. Um, we're going to be starting it on January 21st, which is a Saturday. It's going to start at 4.30 Central Time. Um, we're going to have all the information on all of our platforms, and our goal as of right now is to start doing it bi-monthly. So we'll be doing it every other Saturday. That's the goal right now. Obviously, if that changes, we will definitely let you guys know. But that is when we are officially launching it. It's January 21st. And all are welcome that are part of the queer community. And there's no, you know, real guidelines to it, I guess. I don't really know what the word I'm looking for. We All we expect is for you to just show up and to know that you're not alone and to know that you're loved and that you're seen and that you do have a seat at the table when it comes to abuse survivors. That's the whole reason that we're doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we came out of this and I don't know about you, but I felt like I was super alone and like I was the only person. I think we all as, as survivors of this kind of abuse, we all feel like we're the only person until we find other you know, mm -hmm. other, you know, we find people's content. Like I found Lee Hammock, I found Lisa Sunny, all of this. And then all of a sudden we're like, we're not alone. But then as queer people, there's this other, because a lot of times, and you know, on my content, it's always like, he, he, he. And so to yeah. have this community, I think is very important. And we're both so passionate about having this. And we're very excited to, to be there to support everyone and, and support each other too. So yes, for the whole alphabet mafia. Whatever. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Stay tuned for more information. Like Trey said, we'll be starting um, January 21st. We will start sharing information on our social media, probably at the start of the new year. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Again, if you don't already follow Trey, which in my opinion, it's an absolute must. He is, I was like, yo underscore Trey. Um, so look for him there. And again, Trey, thank you so much for coming on and having this yucky but also important conversation with me <laughs> and thank you to everyone for hanging out with us for the past almost hour um take care of yourselves drink some water and i will be back next week with more bye y'all <laughs>